step of the way. All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles and we'll pray in a minute. But Genesis chapter number 3 will be our starting point in Revelation 12. So find Revelation 12, put a bookmarker there, then find Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis, Revelation 12, Genesis 3. And we want to make sense of what's going on in the world today. Uh, we are normally in the book of 1 John. We're going to postpone that for this Sunday as we kind of make sense of the insanity that the world is going through right now. Everybody's asking questions. Is this Armageddon? Is the Lord returning? And, and what's going on? Is this Bible prophecy? A lot of people have questions, and we're going to not answer all your questions, but we're going to look at some things, try to make some sense of it, and, uh, and explain why all the hate. I don't know about you, I've watched the news a little bit. I was very angry at all the protests going on in this country for the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas. How can you see all that what took place and then still stand with the Palestinians. Again, not every Palestinian is a bad person, but the Hamas and, and have brainwashed a lot of those people, and they have been brainwashed from childhood to hate. I've seen some of the videos that they show their children, their cartoons and their children's programming are all bent towards hating Jews and killing Jews. It's a, you see a guy dressed up like a, like a giant teddy bear, and he's talking about taking a gun and killing people. It's, it's, it's bizarre beyond anything, but that's their programming in that part of the world to, to hate Jewish people and to hate the Jews themselves. Uh, we've uh, seen this in our protests in our cities and then on our college campuses, which, again, uh, you have Jewish students on those campuses, and yet you have these protests going on over there, pro-Palestinian, and basically making every Jewish person on that campus feel very, very unsafe. If you pay attention to any kind of things that go on on college campus, you know that if a conservative speaks on college campuses and tries to portray biblical values and is anti-abortion and, and, and against the homosexual society, they, they almost will not let him speak on college campuses and almost riot and protest uh, and to try to prevent that speaker from speaking. But yet we have these protests and we've seen Jewish people crying on TV because fearing that their lives are in danger from these people. And so it's, it's a strange time we live in. Over uh, 50,000 protesting in the streets of London for Hamas and, 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 and the Palestinian movement. And so, again, we can't answer every question today, but we will try to answer some of the things and show you why all this is going on and what is going on behind the scenes. And so let's make our prayer this morning and ask the Lord to help us and uh, be with us. Lord, we thank we can be here. Thank for the local church where we can gather and hear the word of God. Thank for those who gathered together this day and those watching through the internet. Help me, Lord, to say only that which needs to be said and, and guide my thoughts and tongues that they may be spirit-led and, and spirit-filled. I pray, dear God, for this dear man, Freddie, who's sick with this cancer. Lord, you know the needs that are there. Touch him, dear God. And we pray, dear Lord, if he doesn't know you as Savior, that, Lord, he'll be able to be reached with the gospel and come to know you and, and find the cure, which is the most dangerous man ever has, is the, the sin problem that will separate him from God forever. Help the doctors and give them wisdom and meet those needs. And help our Brother Dave, dear God, and his family as they're going through this trial now and continue to help them as they're moving and doing what has to be done and in preparation for what could possibly happen. So help them bless their home and their family and, and help, Lord, to clear up some church members' schedule. They can at least donate some time to help them in this, this time of crisis. Bless the word of God. Speak to our hearts. May Christ be honored and glorified. Thank you for this church, their faithfulness, their love for you, and the, and the faithful workers who do so much to make everything possible. Bless now this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's start in Genesis chapter number 3. Let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Where man has fallen into sin, man has uh, disobeyed God, man has, uh, is now uh, knows the difference between the knowledge of good and evil. Man is uh, separated from God. Sin is now entered into the world and our parents, Adam and Eve, are now being separated from God. They've made fig leaves and God has clothed them. And God is going to give a promise here. This is a very important promise, a, a prophetic statement in your Bible that you need to understand. In Genesis chapter number 3, and God is speaking and he says in verse number 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. As we see this piece of prophecy in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15, it is the promise that God is making that he is going to send a Savior to the world. Man has fallen into sin. Man has, has uh, uh, rebelled against God, and God has promised to bring man back to him. And how is he going to do this? Well, it says, first of all, he's going to put enmity. That word enmity means strife or it means hatred. There's going to be a hatred between thee, speaking to the serpent, and the woman, and between the seed of the serpent and between her seed. And so we have two groups of people here in this verse. There is that of Satan, and that is the seed of the woman. It's also interesting to note that here really is the first hint that God is making to a virgin birth. In order for a woman to have a child, a man must be involved. Her seed must have a man in order for a child to be conceived. But God does not mention a man in this verse. It simply says that her seed, and again, he does, it's not fully there, but when we understand what Scripture teaches about the virgin birth, we can see God alluding to it or hinting to it here that somehow the seed of the woman is going to come and it's going to bruise uh, it's going to bruise the head of the seed of the, of the serpent. Now let me try to let you know what's going on. There are really two seeds, two groups of people upon planet Earth today, two offsprings or two descendants. There are those who follow after righteousness and those who follow after unrighteousness. There are those who follow after the way of God and those who follow after the way of self and the devil. Those who follow after the good of God and those who follow after the sin and evil of the devil. There are those who follow after God himself and those who follow after the devil himself. The Lord Jesus Christ in John's gospel made the statement, he told the Pharisees, ye are of your father the devil. Now my friend, how do you become a child of the devil? Well, first of all, you're born that way. You're born that way. Well, how do you become a child of God? You have to get born that way. That's why Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The new birth in Christ gives you a new seed. It makes you the child of God. And so you're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan, one or the other. Those are the two groups on planet Earth. Either you belong to God or you do not. And people don't like that, but that's basically saying. But God is saying that to the woman here, understand, uh, Eve, uh, that someday... Now, he's talking to Satan himself, but Eve is, is in listening to this. Eve, understand that someday, 
that the woman is going to give birth to, the, to somebody who's going to come along and crush this serpent. In the process, the serpent is going to bruise the heel of your seed. He's going to be afflicted. He's going to suffer. But he, in the end, he will crush the serpent's head. And we know when we have the Lord Jesus Christ come along, Jesus Christ suffers on Calvary's cross. He is bruised. He is afflicted. But in the end, he rises from the grave victorious, still bearing the marks in his body from Calvary's cross. But in so doing, he has crushed Satan. Satan is defeated. He is he's finished. We don't have to worry about we're going to win one day. My friend, we've already won. The battle's over. We're on the winning side. May not seem like it right now, but trust me, we have won. Now, what Satan has done since the, the, the garden has tried to di disrupt the seed of the woman, to try to prevent the woman from giving birth to this seed, giving birth to this one who's going to come and crush him. It's seen quickly right away with Cain and Abel. Abel was a righteous man who offered a righteous sacrifice, and his brother Cain was evil. Two different, two children, brothers. One good, one evil. One loved God, one did not love God. And what happens, the one who does not love God, no doubt is inspired by Satan, and kills his righteous brother Satan, thinking there, I've eliminated the seed from coming into the earth by killing this boy here. But Adam and Eve have other children. And one of those boys is a fellow by the name of Seth. And we follow the line of Seth all the way down. Now here's the, everything we're seeing today. You have to believe this and know this to be true. Because it is the truth. Everything we're seeing today is spiritual. This is a spiritual battle. That's why man cannot fix this. Every president who comes along has tried, in my life, tried, tried to fix the Middle East crisis, and they have all failed. You cannot fix a spiritual problem with man-made ways. This is spiritual. And it goes all the way back to here. And we're going to show you from Scripture today. And so Satan, all throughout your Old Testament, as you read your Bible, we see Satan trying to destroy or corrupt the seed of the woman. How can we corrupt? And so God goes through a man, then God chooses nation. And God chooses the nation of Israel. And it's through Abraham and his seed that that seed, the Messiah, will come. And all throughout your Bible, you see Satan trying to destroy the nation of Israel. And make sure that this promised one does not come. No doubt Eve thought she would give birth to the Messiah. It, is the, it was the hope of every Jewish woman that they would be the one who would give birth to the seed of the woman. It, it, he's called the desire of women. And when we see that phrase in Scripture, the desire of women, it's referring to that it was the desire of every woman that they would be the one who would give birth to Christ. We sing the song at Christmas time where he talks about, uh, come desire of nations come. He is the desired one. We know that the Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, will not uh, desire the seed of the woman. He will, be a, he will hate Christ. And despise the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, we see this promise here. And this promise here of a seed, of a Savior, follows all the way through our Bible till we come to the New Testament where we see Christ being born in Bethlehem's manger. Finally, the, the Savior has arrived. So this godly seed of the woman is, is, in a, is in a struggle against the ungodly seed of the devil. And Genesis 3.15 is a prophecy, really, of human history. God puts in, 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 in a, a capsule form for us the, the, the course of history. 
History is to be a stage upon which this conflict is to play out. The conflict between good and evil, the conflict between God and Satan is now being played out upon the human stage. And there is a good and godly seed upon the earth, and there's also evil and ungodly seed upon the earth. There is godly humanity, and there is also an ungodly humanity, and there will always be that way until Jesus Christ returns one day to earth. Now, Josh, you got a graph back there. I think I gave that to Sarah, and we, we're going to get high tech right here on our graph here and show you some things, and, and, and take your Bible, if you will, in Revelation chapter number 12. Try to listen to me, try to read your Bible, and look at this chart all at the same time. Amen? You're highly trained, highly educated, and well-motivated. Keep one eye over there and one eye on me. Be like one of them lizard-type creatures that have eyes going in all the time. I know women normally have that ability. Men do not, but women, my wife can be like, how do you do that? But in Revelation chapter number 12, which Brother Keston read this morning, we had that read for a purpose, trying to give you up to date. Now, my friend, there's a lot going on in the history of the world, and people can ask me, is Jesus coming soon? Jesus will not return for at least seven more years for at least seven more years physically to earth. You have seven more years before Jesus, maybe, could be 14, could be 20, could be 300. But if at least seven more years. Now you have what we call the present church age. And for 2,000 years we have had the present church age which started with the Lord Jesus Christ and we are in the church age right now. I want you to understand there's also no Bible prophecy really concerning the church age. All Bible prophecy deals with the, the, the Old Testament and the coming of Christ and, and, and everything about Christ. And the Bible never mentions the church because the church, as the Bible tells us, was a mystery. God never revealed the idea or the concept of the church in the Old Testament. We, we are exposed to that with the New Testament. He says, let me show you a mystery. And he gives us the church. Nobody knew that there would be a church age. Everybody just thought there would be Israel and, 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 the, and the Savior coming, him being cut off, and then him returning and establishing his kingdom. That's what, the, that's what Israel was expecting. That's what the, the disciples were expecting. They were expecting when he made his triumphant entry that he was going to defeat Rome and establish his millennial reign. They did not understand that God was basically saying, no, time out. I'm going to give you do something different right now that I've never told you about. It's called the church age. Now, what we are waiting for and what we believe around here in our theology or eschatology, if you want to use big words, is the, what we call the rapture of the church where Jesus Christ does not return to earth, but the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so those we will be caught up. Now, when is that day going to happen, my friend? I do not know. When we talk about prophecy, what we are looking at is the prophecy in what we call the seven-year tribulation period. The Bible gives us a lot of prophecy and a lot of talk about what's going to take place in that seven-year time period. And that seven-year time period will be an awful time period that you do not want to live through. You want to be saved and make sure you avoid that and go home with the Lord Jesus Christ at the rapture of the church. You need to make sure you're saved. Now, whoever put this chart together, I like that they said, you are here. I always like those things when I'm somewhere where you are here. It helps me know where I'm at. Amen. <laughs> you stop those rest stops somewhere and, and you get the big giant map. It's like, where am I? As you drink that horrible coffee that came out of that machine. And, you, and here I am. Okay. Like, oh, man, we got, we got 300 hours to go before we get to where we got to go. And so you are here. Now, my friend, how close are we to the rapture? I do not know. 
The only way we judge that is by how things are going to be during the tribulation period. A one world government, a one, uh, a one currency system, and, uh, and uh, an antichrist who rule. We can see these things lining up. We, we talk about one world currency. We, listen, you don't even have to buy things anymore. You just have to just wave your phone over things today. And they're putting chips in people's hands and, and using your eyeballs and all kinds of other things to buy things today. We're ready for a mark on the back of your right hand or forehead. We're ready for a digital currency. They're talking about a digital currency and getting rid of cash. It's all there. So there, my friend, we have these things. Now, in heaven, what we're in heaven, we'll have the judgment seat of Christ, which is, again, not determining your salvation, but determining your paycheck, <laughs> what you'll get as your reward for your service for Jesus. How faithful were you? How much did you love him? How much did you witness? And you'll get rewarded for that. Then we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then at the end of the seven years, the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But those seven years is an awful time where God is going to deal with the world, but specifically the nation of Israel. That seven-year period is also called Jacob's trouble in your Bible. Why is it called Jacob's trouble? Because God is dealing with Israel. Israel will have its trouble in that time period as the Antichrist will persecute it. Pay attention to this because we'll see this in Scripture in just a minute. The tribulation is broken into two parts, the first three and a half years and the second three and a half years. The first three and a half years... The Antichrist will make a peace treaty in the Middle East, declaring we'll have peace in the Middle East. And for three and a half years, there will be peace in the Middle East at the hands of the Antichrist. And then he will break that peace treaty with what the Bible calls the abomination of desolation from the book of Daniel. And he will declare war on the Jews. And every Jew will have to flee for his life at the hands of the Antichrist as he begins to slaughter them wholesale in the same way Hamas did that horrible, despicable crime last week. And for three and a half years, it will be open season uh, upon the Jews. And there will be people saved during the tribulation period. And people will come to know Christ. Jews will come to know Christ. It will be, be a time of great revival. I think more people will be saved in the tribulation than have been saved really in the last 2,000 years. But there will be millions come to know Christ. But the price tag for salvation in the tribulation, my friend, is death because the Antichrist will not have anybody worship anybody except him because the Antichrist is a Satan-possessed man. Satan only possesses two people in the, in the course of history. One is Judas Iscariot, and the second is the man God calls Antichrist. We do not know who that man is. Don't try to speculate. Don't try to figure it out. It's a waste of your time. When I was younger, everybody thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because it's Ronald Wilson Reagan. Uh, each letter, his name had six parts, so he was 666. So Reagan definitely had to be the Antichrist, and, and Reagan's dead, and, and Reagan is not the Antichrist. And, and, and don't, so don't try to figure it out. We know he'll come from a revived Roman Empire somewhere in Europe. So we do not know who this man will be but he will be an evil man. He'll be, have all the answers. He'll be the perfect candidate, the one who can fix all the problems of the world. My friend, that's a timeline of what's going on. So when I say Jesus isn't coming back for seven years, physically, he comes back to earth as Messiah to save Israel and usher them into his 1,000-year millennial reign to sit on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, not Salt Lake City, not Rome, not New York, but Jerusalem itself, where Christ will rule and reign, where his father David ruled and reigned. And so, my friend, that is a sketch of all things. But we show you that because now we go to the book of Revelation, chapter number 12. 
Now, the book of Revelation is a very interesting book because it tells a story of the future. It tells, first of all, about the church. The first four chapters deal with the church and the churches that were present at that point in time when John wrote the book of Revelation. Seven churches are mentioned by name, and he deals with the, 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 the good things of those churches and the bad things of those churches and, and then, chapter number 5, there is a shifting from the earth of the church where uh, it says, if you just very quickly, you can turn there. In chapter number 5, uh, uh, actually verse number 4, the first three chapters of the church, and then he says, verse number 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, and said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be here. And we believe this is the rapture. The church is being taken out, that the trumpet sounds, the voice says, come up hither, and now we are in heaven. We see heaven there, and chapter 5 takes place in heaven. And then chapter number 6, we see the, 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 the beginning of tribulation where the judgments of the earth begins, where the, the, the seal judgments, and by seal we mean like a seal on a book is opened, and, and the book is opened, and the judgments begin. No longer in, from chapter 6 to the end of the book do we see any mention of the church. What we do see is the one world government system and we see the nation of Israel being mentioned. The church is not here because the church has been taken out. And so God is dealing with the world and with Israel. And so we go through our Bible. Now again, when you read the book of Revelation, it doesn't always, it, it doesn't flow like a, a normal book. It'll tell you a story of what's going to happen, and what God is going to do. And then it kind of backs up and tells you something else that's going to happen. And simply, like if I was to say, I was to describe this church service right here, and everything that's going on in this church service, and then I would finish and tell you what's going on next door in those services next door. And so Revelation works that way. It tells a story, and then it backs up and tells another story. In Revelation chapter number 12, what we have here is a... a a, the characters, 12 and 13, reveal to us the people and, and, and individuals involved during the tribulation period. And again, the church is not mentioned. We have uh, several people mentioned by name or alluded to in these chapters. And that's what we want to talk about here in the minutes we have. I, I have, I have uh, three hours worth of sermon here, and we only have a few moments, so let's Drop it into fifth gear. Rob, turn your hat around because we're going fast and we don't want that thing blowing off while we shoot down the highway here. Amen? And so let's, let's, let's crank it up. And if you're having trouble keeping up with me, this is what we have sermon audio. You can go back and replay the tape and play it on slow speed so I sound like, your Bible. And, and we'll go from there. All right. Now, when we look at this chapter here, there, we're seeing uh, a spiritual picture. And God is showing us here and, and, and rolling the, 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 the screen back so we can see what's going on behind the scenes. The spiritual realm is, is exposed to us here and we're seeing exactly what's going on. He says in, in, in verse number 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, and she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. We see, first of all, this woman who appears to us in Scripture. She's clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head she has twelve stars, a crown. 
Now, the woman is not identified, but it is clear who she is. First of all, she's clothed with the sun, and the moon is under her feet, and she has upon her head a crown of stars. And this refers back to the Old Testament. Remember in your book of Genesis, Joseph had a dream. And he told his brothers his dream and what was going to happen. And go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter number 37. Genesis chapter number 37. Find that place. It's important I show you this. Joseph the dreamer. And this dream gets him in trouble, by the way. And his brothers hate him because of his dream. I've had some dreams in my time, but nobody ever hated me because of them. I don't know about you, I really don't remember much of my dreams. My wife is in detail. The wind was out of the northeast and it was sunny out. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I was in the house, but it wasn't our house. And uh, there was a purple chicken. I, I, you know, I, I, and that's, that's my dreaming. But my wife is like, you know, detailed. And, and uh, <laughs> I've had my wife wake up angry at me because of a dream. What is it with you women, amen? It's like, you were talking to another woman. I'm like, sweetheart, I'm laying right here. I'm right here. <laughs> and, uh, I wasn't talking to anybody except my pillow. Trust me, I wasn't talking. And uh, so, verse number 9, And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren. And he said, Behold, I dreamed the dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this? What is this dream that thou shalt dream? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren and indeed come and bow down ourselves to the earth? In the dream, the father is the sun, his mother is the moon, and his brothers are the eleven stars. It's speaking again in reference to Israel and, and what he sees there. Joseph says, I, I had this crazy dream, and, and all of you bowed down and worshipped me, which would take place, by the way, when they all came down to Egypt and were begging for food, and they, and they were all bowing down to their brother whom they sold almost 20 years ago into slavery. And so this is the dream. And when we come back to Revelation, God again is referring to the nation of Israel. Now, I'm not going to take time this morning, but there are several interpretations of who this woman is. And there's a lot of crazy ones. Some people say it's the Virgin Mary and this is the Church of Rome. That's false. It's blasphemous. It's not even true. It is the nation of Israel. Keep Scripture in context with Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. And so what we're seeing here, this woman who's clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and had uh, uh, on her, upon her head a crown with 12 stars is referring to Israel. It refers to Jacob, his beloved wife, and his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel is the picture, and Israel is pictured as a woman here. It says that she is with child in verse number 2, and she cried, travailing in birth pains. And, and so again, we see this woman here, what she's going through, and, and how she is a, a, a travailing. Now, God made a promise in Genesis 3. What, is, what was the promise? That the seed of the woman will give birth to a child. And for 2,000 years, Israel has been carrying on, and God has been protecting them as this woman is going to be the one that God's going to use to give birth to the Messiah. We have a Jewish Messiah. Don't ever forget that. Jesus Christ was born of Jewish skin. He was raised Jewish. He practiced all the Jewish laws and customs. He ate Jewish dietary food. He was 
full-blooded Jew, our Savior, because he was born of Israel, born of a woman. But this woman is travailing in pain. I watched my wife four times give birth to children, our first one being probably the most difficult. Uh, but I, I've seen my wife in pain giving birth, and we know how uh, painful childbirth can be. If it was up to men, we'd be, it'd be one and done. One and done. We're done. Enough of this nonsense. But women, uh, two hours later, they're talking about the second one. And you're like, are you kidding me? And, and there they go. I, first time after my son was born, the first one there, Renee was laying in the bed. She just gave birth. I said, how about the second one? This hand came up and grabbed me by the throat. And, uh, but she quickly, later on, agreed that we need to have a second one. And God blessed us with four wonderful children. But the travail of a woman. And the travail here deals with how Israel is going to suffer. And you study your Old Testament. What did Israel go through? How were they hated? How were they persecuted? Pharaoh and everybody else tried to destroy them, kill them, wipe them out. An entire process. Why? Why is Israel so hated, my friend? Why did Satan? Because Satan knows that the seed is going through that woman, which is Israel. And we have to destroy Israel. If we can destroy Israel, then we will not have the Messiah. And if the Messiah doesn't come, then my head is not getting crushed. And we win. And so we must stop the woman from giving birth. Now, he says in verse number 2, And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Again, this is a picture of Israel. We go on, we see the adversary of the woman. And there appeared, verse 3, Another wonder in heaven, behold a Great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and it cast into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered to devour her child as soon as it was born. We have the adversary here. And this adversary is pictured here as a uh, great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Now there's a lot in there. And you say, what does that mean? Well, first of all, he's, it's Satan. And we know that in the Antichrist, there will be a ten-nation confederacy of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire will be made up in Europe of the, the former Roman Empire. Nations that made up the Roman Empire will be a ten-nation confederacy. That's the one world government that's soon to come. Daniel tells us that the Antichrist will destroy. The, it's a, it's a ten-nation, so there's ten kings involved, ten leaders Antichrist will ruin or just remove three of them from power. There's why we see in Scripture. Again, read Daniel. I don't have time for all of it to explain it, but that's why we see in Scripture how he has these seven heads but ten horns. Because there's seven leaders but ten nations, seven heads of these nations with him ruling over three of them, giving him the absolute rule over these countries. And so it's speaking of the future, of what's taking place. And God in this picture, by the way, is giving us this scene, this behind-the-scene glimpse here, what's taking place. He tells us about how his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven to cast into the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Satan, my friend, we know was cast out of heaven. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He rebelled against God, and he took one-third of heaven's angels with him. Now, the only thing is we don't know how many is that one-third because we don't know how many angels there are. 
The Bible tells us really there's an innumerable amount of angels. There's thousands times thousands times ten thousands times ten thousands. There's this innumerable host in heaven. But Satan, in his rebellion, took one-third of heaven's angels with him. Those are demonic spirits. Those are demons, we call them. And they, my friend, have been cast out. But there's also something else I want you to understand about the spiritual realm that's important for you to understand. That in heaven today, Satan still goes to heaven today. Even though he has been cast out, he is the prince and power of what? The air. He is the god of this world. And we know that the whole world lies in wickedness today. But according to our Bible, that Satan and all the other angels, good and bad, all appear before Almighty God and give an account, and God communicates with the good and the bad angels. He communicates with Satan. Where have you been, Satan? Oh, going up and down the earth to and fro. Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, I considered him. He loves me, doesn't he? He only loves you because you're good to him. If you can let me get my hands on him, he'll curse you to his face. Satan still, to this day, goes before Almighty God and appears in, in heaven, along with the other demons. We see this it glimpses throughout Scripture, where God communicates with the demons. I need somebody to go down there and and kill Ahab for me. Who wants to go do that? And one demon raised, I'll do it. How are you going to do it? I'll be a lying spirit. I'll go down and, and, and be a lying spirit in the mouth of the false prophets. Go ahead. We may find that bizarre, my friend, but that's what's going on behind the scenes. Satan still appears in heaven. The demons still appear in heaven. The angels, the good angels, are still there in heaven. While they also occupy this space. It's spiritual. This is spiritual going on. It's a spiritual battle we live in. Now, we notice he called again, he's called a red dragon serpent. We see the serpent there in the, in the Old Testament. He's crafty, he's vicious. The, the, the idea of red implies blood, it implies cruelty. Anything Satan does, Satan is always cruel and, 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 and wicked. And again, that idea of, uh, of the, I told you about the seven heads and the, and the ten horns. You say, I don't understand all of that. Uh, just, just take that piece of information and, and store it over here because as you learn your Bible more and more, you'll, you'll, you'll pull it. I say, okay, now it makes sense. But just, just hold on to it. It's, it's what's going to happen. Satan is the prince of this world. The Bible says in, in John, now is the judgment of this world come. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Uh, and so again, he's the prince and power of the air. He says, where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the course of the wicked seed. You walked according to what Satan told you to do. According to the prince of power of the air but, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You once did that. Now, and Satan has his grip upon the whole world. We see how his, his tail takes a third of heaven's angels with him. Now, this woman that we see here brings forth a child who's to rule all nations in verse number 5. And she, you can circle that word she, and you should write the word Israel next to that. She brought forth a man-child. That man-child is Jesus Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up into, to God, to his throne. Here we have the birth of Christ. The woman finally gives birth. It's not necessarily speaking about Mary, although God did choose to use Mary. But God is now, the woman has given birth. And what happened, my friend, when Jesus Christ was born? What did Herod try to do when Jesus Christ was born? 
Wise men, go find him. And when you find him, bring me word that I may come and worship him also. And we know that that scoundrel was demon-possessed and his only goal was to kill the baby Jesus Christ and to prevent him. And God warned the wise men, go home another way. Don't go back. And what did Herod do after he realized that the wise men deceived him? He went on a killing spree and killing all the children in Israel two years and under. That's satanic. That's spiritual. That's spiritual. Wipe out the children. Kill them all. So don't ever feel sorry for Herod. Herod sold his soul and he was just doing the bidding of his spiritual owners. And so Jesus Christ, and by the way, two times that I can think of in my Bible, Jesus Christ, they tried to kill him. One time they tried to throw him off a cliff, and another time they tried to stone him to death, and both times he was able to escape and flee from that. It's Satan's goal, look, we have to destroy Christ. We cannot let him defeat us. We have to make sure he does not win. Now, in verse number 6, we jump ahead to the future. We have, again, a lot going on in this picture here. It says, Had the woman fled into wilderness where she had the place prepared that she should feed her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. If we were to take one thousand two hundred and threescore days, my friend, that adds up to three and a half years. Remember, the first three and a half years we have a peace treaty. Israel's living in its land. It's got its temple. It's doing its temple sacrifices. Everything seems great. And then Satan, through the Antichrist, breaks it and offers up an abomination of desolation. We can speculate that that was. There was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes who rules under the Greek Empire who went in and he placed a swine on the altar of the temple, desecrating the temple. Thus, Antiochus Epiphanes is a type of the Antichrist. And we don't know exactly what the Antichrist will do, but it will be some form of an abomination to God and to the Jewish people, and thus breaking his peace treaty. The Jews will have to flee. They will have to run. And God says here that he has a place. And the woman, again, Israel is the woman, and it, uh, fled into the wilderness where he has a place prepared or God is going to hide her for three years, three and a half years. And then it talks about a war that breaks out. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore. There will come a day where Satan will be finally, ultimately cast out and no longer allowed to be into the presence of Almighty God and be cast down to earth. That, my friend, is, is a day in the future. So, the woman flees. She's taken care of. Again, the woman uh, avoided the adversary by fleeing into the wilderness. Now, again, what does that mean? What does that mean she flees into the wilderness? We can only speculate on what exactly that means. We know that the earth talks about hiding her. People of the earth will hide the Jews, much in the same way that people hid the Jews during Nazi Germany. Thank God for people who stood up to a government and, and hid Jewish people in their homes so that they would not be slaughtered. Gentile people hid Jewish people so they would not be taken to the chambers and slaughtered and killed by the Nazis. And the Bible makes it clear that, that what's going to happen is that the earth, the world, and, uh, will be taken care of. Verse number 14, And the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly in the wilderness into, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. So for three and a half years, she will, Israel will have to flee. That's future. She'll have to flee from what Satan wants to do to her. What's Satan's goal? To exterminate the Jewish people. Any Christian, 
Any Christian you ever meet who says they hate Jews and they're very anti-Semitic, my friend, they're, they're, they're not much of a Christian. That's satanic. It's satanic to hate. It's satanic specifically to hate the people that gave us Jesus Christ. It's satanic to hate the people that gave you this book. The Jewish people gave you this, but this is a Jewish book. It was written by Jewish men. It was preserved by Jewish men. It's about their history and what God did in Genesis 3, bringing us our Savior. And so I would argue, I hate the Jews, but you're not a Christian. Well, you know, in Galatians, stop twisting and perverting Scripture in your ignorance and saying God's done. God's not done with the Jewish people. What did Paul say? Has God cast off his people Israel? God forbid! He's not done with them. And according to what we see here in this spiritual picture in Revelation chapter number 12, whether the spiritual scene, God is still done with them. And when Christ returns at the end of that seven years and he defeats the armies of the Antichrist who have gathered in Israel in the valley of Megiddo to fight the battle of Armageddon for the purpose of destroying the Jews, Christ returns and destroys them all. And he takes the Jews and he ushers them into his thousand year reign. Where they will live with him in a millennial kingdom, in a perfect and peaceful kingdom where there's no more curse. And the deserts will bloom like a rose, and the lion will lay down with the lamb, and it will be a perfect paradise. And Satan will be banished to the bottomless pit for a thousand years, while the, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, rules and reigns. And so what we're seeing in the Middle East today, and I don't have time for all this today, but what we're seeing in the Middle East, my friend, it's spiritual. When people come across a border for the purpose of killing and, and, and the absolute horrible atrocities that happen to those people and what's been going on for, forever, forever, it's spiritual. The dragon hates the woman. And, the, and even though he could not prevent the Messiah from coming, he seeks to exterminate those who are responsible for giving the Messiah. And to wipe them out. And to make sure that no Jew will be alive. Because, my friend, that seven years is not... The Bible calls it great. The last three and a half years are called great. Great tribulation. Such as the world has never seen. This is, this is paradise. This is paradise compared to what's going to take place in that time frame. Paradise. This is wonderful. The natural catastrophes, the war. There will be a world war taking place. We don't know what number it will be. Hopefully it's three. <laughs> I hope it's not four because I don't want to live through one of them things. <laughs> but we don't know there will be a world war. Persecution untold. People slaughtered simply because they love not their lives unto death. I love Christ. And if I have to die for it, so be it. So when we see what's going on in the Middle East today, and we see some guy come along and say, he's got the answers to it. No, he doesn't have the answers. The Antichrist will say he has the answer. The only answer to this problem in the Middle East, my friend, is Jesus Christ. That's the only solution to a spiritual problem is a spiritual being, and his name is Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Nothing else is going to fix this. The Bible commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They that love thee shall prosper, the Bible says. When we love Israel, and again, Israel's not perfect. They're, they got corrupt leadership, and, and they do corrupt things. They're like any other government on planet Earth. But again, it's the people themselves, those people. And again, and again Israel, the Jews in Israel are the Jews of the Bible. Amen. Don't believe this nonsense that the 12 tribes are the nations of Europe. That's insanity. Don't believe that the real Jews are nations in Africa. That's insanity. 
The Jews you see uh, over running around Brooklyn or Clifton or Livingston and, and, and other places down South Jersey or the other places all over Manhattan, those are Abraham's children, my friend. That's Abraham's seed. And God made a promise that his seed would be as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the sea. They'd be everywhere. And they're under the judgment of God because of their rejection of God. But God has not cast them off forever, and God will gather them back together, as we see in Scripture. So Revelation 12, what is it? It is a picture of God letting us know what's going on behind the scenes. Verse number 17, and we'll close. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. <laughs> the dragon, Satan, was angry, furious with Israel. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Those are saved Jews. Those Jews who come to full faith in Christ. And my friend, you will see Jews come to faith in Christ in the tribulation. And when Christ returns, every Jew on planet earth, when Christ returns, every Jew on planet earth will be a believer in the Messiah. Find, if you will, the book of Zechariah and we'll close. Zechariah near the back of your Old Testament, Zechariah. We have some wonderful pictures here of what God's going to do. We can preach a, a lot out of this. And again, I'm not because the time is, is, is running short. God talks here in verse number 12, chapter 12 and verse number 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn son. And that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. And the mourning of Hadarimon and the valley of uh, Megadon. My friend, they, God will pour upon them what the spirit of grace that's the spirit of salvation, my friend. The Jews will believe upon him. Look, if you will, in Zechariah, and, and in verse number, chapter number 13, it says in verse 1, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and the inhabitant of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. That fountain, my friend, is Jesus Christ. When they'll come, when, and he, it goes on in verse number 6, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hand? And he shall answer, Those are which I was wounded in the house of my friends. It is them... The Jews recognizing Christ to be their Messiah. Where did you get these wounds? Why, are you, why is our Messiah wounded? I got these wounds in the house of my friends and their eyes will be open to understand that Christ was our Messiah the entire time. We wounded him. We pierced our own Savior. And God will save every Jew. And they'll go into that kingdom. It's spiritual, my friends. Pray. We can be angry. We can be bitter. But don't be deceived by any politician. Don't be deceived by any politician, especially the one we got right now who's one grade above a houseplant, that they're going to fix the problem that's going on in the world right now. It's just not. Only God can fix this problem because it's a spiritual problem. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, we do thank you that you're a God of mercy and grace. And the Lord, the spirit of supplication has been poured out to us as Gentiles. And we've been allowed to enter into this great blessing to have a Savior, even though his birthright, his nationality was that of Jewish, but he's a God who loves the world. 
and has invited us in to partake of this wonderful grace. We thank you, dear God, for um, what you've done for us. We pray for those, Lord, who are lost in darkness and do not see that, Lord, they would come to the light and understand the, the, the great mercy that's available through Christ. Now, Father, we pray for Israel. We pray for even the Palestinians, Lord, who do not want this conflict, who are innocent in all of this, that, Lord, that somehow they'll come to understand the gospel and be saved, as we've seen through the past 30 years of wars over there in the Middle East, how many of those Muslim people have come to faith in Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you'd save them even now. Bless this time. Bless this hour.